All right, this is the third part of my conversation with Natalia Ronceria Ceballos. In this segment, we discuss what she has learned about the intercultural development inventory, which is growing in popularity as a tool to help people realize where they are in their understanding and acceptance of cultural differences. We also touched on the different ways in which people can be activists and the roots of more forceful activism. The Intercultural Development Inventory, or the IDI, right now is uh, one of the better assessments in the marketplace, um, if not one of the only, frankly, that is as robust in, in having the ability to benchmark where an individual, a team, or an organization is at on this continuum that they've developed, this sort of intercultural competency continuum. And what's so good about that, I I personally think, is that you can then retake this assessment down the road and see, right, has there been progress made based off of maybe trainings or learning that I've been now able to access because of the results that I got, right? Um, Because it really can inform what do we even need? Where are people at? So, So in a sense, it gives you that snapshot. Where are you at in your intercultural competency? And what does that mean? When we say that again, I boil it down to like, again, how do we engage with difference? What does that mean to us? Do we even acknowledge, right? Do we even see also that there's difference there? Um, So there's five stages in this continuum. You can be in this denial phase, which is really those individuals or even entities that are kind of like this, like, like, this isn't really a thing. This doesn't really exist. Why do we even really need this work? Right. Like this, what are you referring to? Like uh, meaning like uh, DEI related work, racial justice work, right. All of that kind of stuff, like, like kind of shooing it away. Right. Like maybe this isn't really a thing that, that we need. Then you get into the space of uh, polarization, and this is a lot of times when people start to realize there is a lot of difference, but I don't maybe I don't really know what to do with it, and maybe I feel challenged by it, maybe I get defensive, right? maybe I'm trying to protect what I I know, and I'm not I'm not open as open yet. And there's different layers to that as well, but I won't get hardcore into that. Then most of us are in this minimization phase. And that's really where people realize, okay, there's cultural difference. That means diversity. Maybe that's not such a negative thing or anything, but I still don't really know what to do with it. It still maybe kind of throws me. And so I'm just going to focus on our commonalities. I'm going to focus on the universal qualities that uh, unite us as human beings. And we need that too, right? Like that's not a bad thing per se, but we can't just stop there because that's that I don't see color, right? <laughs> and we know now, right, why that can be problematic, right? And those kinds of things. So what we're trying to get is into this like acceptance and then adaptability phase, like areas. And so acceptance are now people or entities, organizations that I acknowledge, I see, okay, diversity, there's strength in that, but also we got a lot of work to do, a little love. Maybe there's a lot of learning being done. Now this is when people are sponges. I want access. I want experience. I want to engage with the difference. I want to come and see what your culture is about. I'm willing to make myself uncomfortable to a degree, but usually people still don't know what to do with this information. There's yeah, that yeah. where it stops. I still don't know how to make decisions with this. I still don't, I still feel uncomfortable engaging. Maybe I still, but I'm open. Now I'm really open and I want to do more. 
So then there's an adaptability arena and that's where, or adaptive, we're in the adaptation phase. And those are the individuals or the entities where I go, I can come into you, your culture, whatever that may mean. I know when I say culture, many people might think the cultures like me saying I'm Colombian or American culture, but this could even be, you know, your company's culture, your organization's culture, subcultures. We're all part of subcultures, right? So it's whatever that means to you, but it's to be able to come in, adapt in that moment, not feel thrown, ride with it, enjoy it maybe, but I'm not losing myself. I'm not losing my, I'm not trying to assimilate in any way, but I am, participating. I acknowledge, Hey, this might be different than what I'm used to, but that's cool. Right. I'm going to go with it, roll with it, but I can still check back into what's my, my identity in a sense. So I just went off there. Sorry. Apologies. But where I'm going with this particular assessment, why, why I love it so much is because, um, you know, since the murder of George Floyd, so much blew up in terms of organizations and entities going, frankly, shit, we, we need to do some of this work. Where are we even at? Our customer bases or our communities are demanding. What are you guys doing, right? What's your definition of equity? And many entities had not done real investment in this work. How do, where do we even start? How do we even know where everybody's at and everybody's in a different place on this continuum? So I think this is a really good way to begin um, where you can see where is my organization, where is my team. Individuals can do this on their own, you know, I mean, as individuals know where they're at and then use that information to inform a, frankly, like a development plan for your entity or for your team or for the individual. And they say usually it takes about, you know, three, well, it takes about six to nine months of active work and investment uh, before they would recommend taking an assessment again to see if there's been any kind of progress. And there's benefits and challenges at all realms of of this continuum, I should say. So I just, I had an opportunity. I'm in a consulting group here um, and we are all committed to coming together and centering equity in all of our work. And we are working through as a collective, um, as a community of practice, I should say, on exactly what that means, what frameworks we're going to be using, little la. And so had the opportunity to be, have a few of us sponsored to go take this training and become certified in this tool. Cause here where I'm based in Phoenix, Arizona, there was only one woman locally who was able to, uh, to do this assessment for entities. And we're like, we need more capacity. Right. And, and so, um, so now we're, we're, this is a tool to use with other frameworks as my, in my opinion, this is a tool that I would highly recommend using with a skilled facilitator or a skilled coach um, but it, it, it's very effective. It's blowing up in like um, uh, study abroad offices, which is I find fascinating. And they're using it as a way to also benchmark uh, students' progression and their experience also with that study abroad experience. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting to learn uh, that that it seems to be trending there. But check it out. Look into it. I think it's it's good for students. It's good for corporations, it's good for nonprofits, uh, foundations. I mean, really it can be used across the board. 
it's not going to solve all yeah. your problems, but it's a good place to start. Yeah, no, it's a very good place. It's a really um, useful tool and interesting one. I mean, I am not a trained QA, as they call them. The QA right. stands for qualified administrator. So I'm not a qualified administrator of the IDI yet. I plan on um, doing my own learning of the inventory right. and going through the training a few months from now, not anything imminent, but I watched some videos on the website um, about it. And as I was watching the videos and they were going through the definitions as you just did, I'm like, oh my God, I've been thinking about all of this as I've encountered people and thinking, yeah, the beginning stages of understanding race relations and just um, social phenomena around identity in general. So I got to hit you with a certain um, lexicon around this yeah. because I cannot say white privilege to you. Like you are not on a journey to understand what that means just yet. I get the, the lack of patience that some activists and professionals have. However, still, I wish there was a little bit more patience to recognize that this is all a journey. And, you know, I had my own frustration a year ago when um, George Floyd uh, happened. And, you know, when I hear folks say, oh, my God, like, I didn't even realize. And I'm sitting there like, hold on, what? Like, that was an awakening for you? Like, what are you talking about? Like, have you been living under a rock? But then I take two steps back. And I think about that and I go, how can, in this case, a white person not understand the depth to which racism is at play on a regular basis? How could you not realize how serious this is within law enforcement? And I thought, well, I oversee a hair service operation at my school. And there's a steep set of stairs that lead up to the shop. And I walk up the stairs, I unlock the door, people come in and out, they get their hair done, they leave. And I go, I've been here four years at the school. And in this moment in doing some internal reflection, am I saying to myself, I have not been an advocate for trying to make this more accessible to people with disabilities. And so in a lot of ways, I'm an ableist. Mm. You know, and I could go down the list with things that I uh, fail to see because I don't experience something. Um, and so when I think about it in that way, I'm like, okay, I guess I could understand how somebody who doesn't live in a diverse community or who came up in a particular um, setting where race isn't discussed and, you know, we're all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, I guess I could understand how that was an awakening, as hard as it is to understand that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you might not have grown up in a very diverse place, um, or you might, but it's the messaging, right? It's that, it's that experience that you've, you've, you've personally had perhaps, but also what, um, what I'm, what I'm trying to articulate is, you know, I think it also is this element of, I'll use myself as an example. For a very long time to be able to get to the place that I am in my professional career, I absolutely made choices to bite my tongue or not rock the boat in certain scenarios and just go with and frankly be the token, right? And or completely and because of the way that I can speak, because of the way that I show up 
in spaces I'm not threatening. People presume, ah, she's along for the ride. Everything's good, right? I'm agreeing with things. I was actually not in activist mode to your point of earlier of the of the nonlinear path, right? I was in personal survival mode. I was in personal gain mode. And I think that's also something to it, right? I saw a lot of peers around me also kind of being like, Natalia, like what? Like, is this something? And me sitting there going like, all right, now let me recount all the times. You remember, right? When we were in the little, just nobody spoke up. But also when you think about it, why should we? If I'm the only person representing any Latino in a space, or if the only black person in this group of 20, why should, you know, they necessarily put themselves out like that? But then these things started happening, right? Where you go, oh my God, it's more than just the random tale of someone somewhere having some experience. Like this truly is a systemic issue. This is much bigger still than, uh, to your point, the, you know, butterflies and <laughs> rainbows that we were all sold. Oh, there's a part of me. I don't know. I'm going to stray a little, Stina, because I don't know if you feel this. I'm curious your thoughts on this. I have been mulling over in my head, like being a baby, I was born in 81, right? So we were teens in our in the 90s, more or less. And I just remember being in that age range, sort of late 80s into the 90s and hearing all of the, you know, like what was on TV, it was like, we're this melting pot. But what did that mean? It wasn't like we come together, we melt together and there's something new. It was like, look at all these different people and all of their different garbs and costumes. Like, I remember there's like this cartoon and all the kids are holding hands around the world. And it's like, this is the United States. You can come here and be different right like represent a different culture different whatever but yet like we're all in this mix and we're all happy go lucky and we're all tolerant of each other and we all like you know it enjoy and celebrate that diversity and then I almost feel like it was like that is an ideal of this country that we were being sold even like as a generation in that era but the reality is far from that still it was that sugar coating, right? That kind of like, this is what we, we want to be, or we think we are. And it just washed over all of this reality. And now it's just like Pandora's box. <laughs> you know, paternalism gets baked into folks. I'm thinking about government, right? So for the longest time, um, the Democratic Party was just like, all right, we will represent you folks of color. Um, we're going to like, say, uh, use buzzwords, and we're going to put people in the Supreme Court, to, you know, fight for these issues. But, you know, meanwhile, like a bunch of us old white men will represent you and you'll be happy with that. And, you know, and let's just hold hands and unity. And then, you know, folks got hip to the game and said, nah, no, 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 no. It's not just about holding hands. We need a voice. And so it was like, okay, we'll get one of you. And then over time, it was like, no, you're not going to just get one person. You will diversify and make sure that I have a, that we have a voice at the table. There are multiple people who are able to speak to these issues and and why can't we run for office? So it's an evolutionary process that occurred. And I think at various points, the light switch came on for people that, um, and when I say people, marginalized people, mm-hmm. that um, they couldn't take a back seat anymore, that they had to have a seat at the table and that they had to change the language at the table. And that non-marginalized people need to be in this mix too, right? That they need to be 
part, uh, they need to be beyond the allies, I would say, right? They need to be hand in hand. And, and you know, <laughs> there's also this element, in my opinion, that we have to take into consideration just how quickly we forget as a, as a species. Like, I don't know why as humans, we forget so quickly what was really just a blink of an eye ago. So I go, you know, because, well, what, I'm about to be 40, right? We're in the, when that age bracket. Uh, so I, I hit, I hit the big four. Oh, okay. Okay. So, right. Quarenta, I had quarenta <laughs> a few weeks ago. Right. Yes. Happy belated. That's right. Thank you. So when I talk to those that might be a little younger, right, even let's say that are now in their thirties, um, who might have this surprise, I also go, gosh, man, you know, how quickly we forget. I mean, it was less than 60 years ago that we had segregated water fountains still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like in less than one person's lifetime. Uh, I mean, my mother's 65. So when I think about, she was born in 1956. When you start looking at what was going on, even when she was a child, right? Schools were just being desegregated. I mean, look at how, and the backlash to that, the violence that occurred, you know, the, I mean, Oh, God, I could just keep going, but but I also think that's an element of it, right? It's these generations that were born into the butterflies and the rainbows. You know, we're over here kind of biting our tongues to a degree. You know, there's just sort of this like everything we've done so much progress. You know, everything should be good, but then these incidences, you could say, start coming more into the spotlight, yep. and now these young people who I do think believe more, and I know I'm super generalizing, which I usually hate to do, but uh, these younger generations that I think do want more of that ideal that was being painted as reality, which is not saying, whoa, whoa, whoa like WTF pretty much. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and then that's where I go, Hey, everybody remember <laughs> it actually hasn't been that long since yeah, yeah. we were in a hardcore different type of Jim Crow era. So like, what? it doesn't surprise. I'm like, how, Yes, we made progress, but of course, we still got a lot of work to do. Of course. And let me just add that the young generation is on fire because for so long, the generation before them was asking nicely. Mm-hmm. And we have communicated to the young folks that, yo, we did the diplomatic thing. We tried to work within the system. Now, defund the motherfucking police. Period. (laughs) It is not about reform anymore. We asked you to do the training and you got the police officers together and you did the one week long training and then sent them right back into communities. Give us the money. Let us manage the money. And folks, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where is this all coming from? And it's like, we've been asking you nicely. No more. (laughs) And and so, like, for me, sometimes it's uncomfortable um, when I'm in spaces with, like, activists who are like, no, fuck that. Like, I'm not going to be polite about what I want. And I have to, again, take a step back to say, you know what? I I can't even blame the tone right now because I'm frustrated. But I've been conditioned to think that asking you and couching it in a way that's comfortable for you will get things done. But it hasn't Mm -hmm. overwhelmingly. And this is not just around race. It's sex. It's sexuality. And ultimately, you know, going back to our first episode, Latinx, what is that from? Like folks who care about gender, who are tired of the binary saying Latinx, no more. Absolutely. 
To every action, there's a reaction. Oh, you're so on point. And I will say, I feel like I'm still recovering in many ways uh, from that, right? Because the way that I now frame it is realizing, you know, of course, in the end, like we we do think about our tribes, right? And our own, you know, what we need to survive and, and to thrive. And so I have functioned from that for so long. It is just it is just so ingrained, right? It's just so the norm. So I have to be very conscious of also to your point, like how I show up in spaces and what I'm really, um, what I'm really willing to, to challenge and bring to the table. And, and that's why I'm so grateful, frankly, to have found this community of practice with other consultants who uh, are much stronger in tone than I and really challenge in spaces and, are are helping show me, frankly, how to how to do that to a greater degree. And at the same time, I also go, I'm also who I am. I'm just I have I'm kind of a diplomatic person in general. Like that's just my MO, even in personal life. So I know I'll always show up in in I want to show up with compassion in all my spaces. I want to show up and lead with love in all spaces. And that's more challenging in certain areas with, for me than others, but that's my journey. That's my process. That's the way I show up. But my goodness, I am so all for the stronger voices and I want to support them and back them. And we need them because yeah, to your point, I mean, asking nicely has just been like, oh yeah, that's great. And then we get like a little tap on the head and then it's like, now go be quiet and be in your corner. Yeah, some crumbs, here's some crumbs. Um, we're not gonna give you the whole piece of bread, just some crumbs. Uh, mm-hmm. And now folks are asking for the bag. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I want the loaf. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. like I don't want <laughs> a slice or two, I want the loaf. Um, so this has been a great conversation and I, I wanna name that we're talking about different forms of activism. Um, and I think, you know, there isn't a playbook. Well, actually, there probably is a playbook, but it was probably written in academic jargon and enough of us haven't read it. But there are activist lanes. And I've learned this over time. You know, somebody like me, as I was explaining to you before we recorded the first episode, I am not ever going to be holding a sign in front of the state house yelling and screaming. It, yeah, um, yeah, that's not really me either. It, yeah. Yeah, it's not my personality. I think there's value there. Um, but it's just not the way I move. Um, so this podcast was my activist lane. Um, helping my daughter publish a diversity and inclusion book is my activist lane. Like I like to feel like I'm engaging people and educating them because I truly believe that when people know better, they do better. And and so if I am standing in front of a, a, a building, holding a sign, if I'm, you know, fill in the blanks. If I'm not engaged with the other side that I'm trying to move, I don't feel as though um, I'm able to make change that way. However, there's still value in that. There's value in a lot of different um, forms of activism. And And, yeah. And unfortunately, is there an inventory out there where people can kind of figure out (laughs) Where their active lane is, so that they can be genuine. I don't even know. I don't even know if I'm the right person to. to yeah, no, I'm sure there is because I mean, when I when you say activism, I, I immediately start thinking of like all the grassroots organizations and movements as well. Um, uh, and 
you know, to your point, I, I really think it's about, you know, I really do hope when people know better, they do better. I go by that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it's all personal choice. It's all personal choice. And we cannot control others. Mm-hmm. We cannot force others to see things through our perspective or through our eyes um, unless they are really willing to. So I, I think it's that whole there it's going to take different approaches to get people to really start to activate themselves. And sometimes that means the shock value element. Sometimes that means someone needs to be pushed to tears, right? Sometimes it takes that. Sometimes it takes a more patient, more compassionate approach to pull someone out um, of a shell uh, that they might be in um, to help them start to try and see things from another vantage point. Yeah, yeah. And so so that that's something I believe very strongly. And so so I do really think it's valuable to have many different approaches, um, many different ways people can engage with their own learning and unlearning journeys and processes. Um but what I would hope is that those of us who are helping guide, right. Or helping, of course, we all are on our own journeys as well. For the most part are are coming from a similar angle (laughs) to your point for the most part are really trying to uh, create the ideal. I think that we were all maybe sold at one point. Uh, Maybe we should be doing this like once a week because we have a lot of thoughts to share. uh, back. Um, cathartic for both of us as activists. And now somebody is listening to this episode and captivated and says, I need that Natalia Rancheria (laughs) Caballos. No, Uh, you didn't. I'm about to use your full name. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody wants to get in touch with you and learn more about the work you do. How can they do so? Yes, uh, please feel free. Uh, really, I, I'm on LinkedIn. So yes, of course, you can find me on LinkedIn, Natalia RC. Um, but Instagram is actually where I play the most. If you want to find me on social media at L-A-N-R-C, just La N-R-C. Um, and then, of course, uh, via email or my website, which I keep saying I need to update, but you can absolutely <laughs> still find me at lanrc.co, not .com, .co. Um, but yeah, please reach out any of those channels, uh, email of course is all over the place on any of those channels, always willing to have a conversation is what I say. And I will say this, I am the type of person that if I really believe I am not the right fit for you, or I don't really provide what really will be of most value to you, I will do my best to connect you to the best resource I know to fill your need. Um, oh, I think my goodness. You are really not a hustler. Important. Jeez. Well, I mean, I hustle. I, I hustle ditty, but not in that manner. No. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I really, really, really believe strongly that I have to vet you. You have to vet me. And we have to make sure that we're really the right fit based on your, your particular needs. And if not, then, then I will help you find that fit. Awesome. Yeah. Natalia, thank you so much for thank coming you. on in me and being a guest. And so 
I'm going to be totally transparent with my audience here. The goal was to have you on this evening and have a 30 minute conversation and post that as the second half of our conversation. But I'm going to split this one into two because I don't want to delete anything from this conversation. So it's going to be a three part episode. And so um, my audience will certainly hear how I've broken that up and it'll make a ton of sense and it's all valuable. So you'll listen to all three parts. <laughs> Wonderful. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for the invitation. Wonderful to reconnect with you and to see all that you're doing. And thank you for this platform. This is so important that there that there are spaces like this more and more created for, for people to come and learn and and hopefully take some action in their own lives. So thank you. Natalia and I covered a lot of ground in these three segments. In part one, we talked about the term Latinx, and in part two, she offers her thoughts on colorism and anti-Blackness among some Latinos. I also chimed in with some thoughts about my experiences with colorism in my own family and how I made sense of it, despite its problematic nature. There's a lot to think about here for sure. Until the next episode of In Me, keep reflecting. Identity. See